I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Emission. There is no shortage of big headlines in San Francisco, but the stories that stir up some of the most charged debates are the ones about crime and public safety. And those conversations are often magnified by conservative commentators. They attack San Francisco for what they perceive as the city's failure to stop crimes, especially thefts and burglaries. It's hard to wreck a place as beautiful as San Francisco, but they have effectively done Civilization it. itself is coming apart in San Francisco. Law and order has been effectively suspended. Uh, San Francisco is a city that is spiraling or already in the bottom of the toilet. We're at the bottom of the toilet, folks. It seems like all eyes are on San Francisco, and the idea that crime is rampant is fueling big political consequences for people like District Attorney Chesa Boudin. On Thursday, San Francisco's Department of Elections certified a recall election for embattled District Attorney Chesa Boudin. Context and perception are critical, especially around crime stories. And someone who may understand that best is Chronicle Data reporter Susie Nielsen, who joins me today. Susie's published a story that pushes back on the narrative that people like Tucker Carlson and others have run with. And she does that not with sensational headlines, but with something that's much more grounded in reality data analysis. Her story looks at San Francisco crime trends by neighborhood, and it's been one of the most read pieces on the Chronicle site this week. Susie, it's great to have you back on Fifth Emission. Thanks so much, Cecilia. So, Susie, I want to dive into your story. The persistent narrative that we keep hearing about is that crime throughout San Francisco is widespread, but your recent data reporting tells a different story. Tell me more about it. Yeah, so basically what we were hearing a lot um, and what I was seeing a lot on social media were people both within and outside of San Francisco talking a lot about how the city has seen this huge surge in all kinds of crimes um, in the city since the pandemic started. Um, So we were curious whether that was true and if so, what the trends would look like at a kind of more local level, um, because that's what we can do at the Chronicle. We can look at uh, stuff at the neighborhood level. So we analyzed police department data going back to 2018 and found that actually Reported crime has decreased in 2020 and 2021 compared to prior years. Um, But we were curious about why then, if it has decreased, why public perception is really so at odds with those numbers. And this story, I think, is one piece of that puzzle. It provides one insight into why that might be, which is that there is a difference in what wealthier San Francisco neighborhoods are experiencing compared to lower income ones. So When you just look at wealthier neighborhoods, they're actually seeing, on average, a 7.8% increase in rates of the major money-motivated crime types, which are motor vehicle thefts, larceny thefts, robberies, and burglaries. They've seen that 7.8% increase over the pandemic, whereas neighborhoods with lower incomes saw a 15.4% decrease in those same crime types. And how are you defining a wealthy neighborhood from a lower-income one, and what are some examples of those? So we basically took the top 10 neighborhoods with the highest median incomes. So those include Noe Valley, Haight-Ashbury, Pacific Heights, Glen Park. And then we were comparing them to the 10 neighborhoods with the lowest median incomes, which include the Tenderloin, Chinatown, Lakeshore, uh, the Bayview, Visitation Valley, and several others. So, Susie, this is interesting because 
the larger ideas about crime in San Francisco is really about what's happening in wealthier neighborhoods. But in reality, crime is down in lower income neighborhoods, but people don't really seem to be caring about that. And it feels like this report points out why aren't we paying attention to crime when it is happening in poorer neighborhoods? Yeah, so this is a really interesting question, and I think there are a lot of different components to the answer. First, I think the media plays an unfortunately large role uh, as we tend to focus on uh, out-of-the-ordinary shocking events. And so, you know, if East Oakland sees an increase in homicides when it already has a lot of homicides, you're not going to see the same kind of attention as if, you know, for example, um, people break into a Louis Vuitton store in downtown San Francisco. That doesn't happen a lot. And so you get a lot of outsized coverage, a lot of viral spread on social media. So also, I think people who have access to the media and to politicians and to other ways that public perceptions are shaped are disproportionately likely to live in one of these wealthier areas, while relatively few folks with that kind of access live in lower-income places. I mean, I think that's why it's good that we are doing data reporting into these kinds of issues, because it can reveal these kinds of hidden things or, you know, draw attention to some of these trends that might be underexplored. So let's dig into the data methodology here a bit more. Why look at burglaries and robberies only and not violent crimes? You know, that seems to be of concern in San Francisco as well. And why did you decide to look at the income of the neighborhoods? You report on crime quite often. What were you sort of looking to debunk with this story? This story is just one component of the story of crime in San Francisco right now. Um, One other thing that we need to be paying attention to and need to be talking about a lot is that San Francisco has seen a rise in homicides over the last couple of years. Even though overall violent crime is down, homicides have increased in San Francisco as they have increased nationally. They've increased mm-hmm. in pretty much every city. So that's something we need to be paying attention to. I think with this particular story, I was actually just kind of doing an exploratory analysis of police department data, and I started to notice that When you looked at particular money-motivated crimes, I think robbery was the one that really sparked my interest in this, you really saw this stark contrast geographically. I was just seeing a lot of increased robbery rates in certain neighborhoods and was curious whether there might be a bigger relationship there. And as it turns out, there was. But there's definitely a lot more to explore with uh, crime trends in San Francisco. Another thing is that... um, It's really hard to look at the geography of most violent crimes in San Francisco just because violent crime is so relatively rare compared Mm -hmm. to property crime. So you can't really look at neighborhood rates of rape because there are so few rapes or homicide. I mean, there were, you know, a couple dozen homicides last year. That's not enough to really meaningfully break down by neighborhood. So some people might be looking at this story and thinking, well, this isn't entirely surprising. People go to places of opportunities like wealthier neighborhoods when times are tough. Um, And we know there are a lot of people who are financially burdened right now during the pandemic at a time when a lot of people in San Francisco are pointing fingers and looking for people to blame, like District Attorney Chesa Boudin, for example. This report kind of gives an obvious answer to the roots of crime, right? I mean, does this report suggest that the focus on policies or prosecutions might be misplaced? Oh, man, yeah, this is a really complex question. Basically, there's been a ton of research done into the relationship between income inequality and income in general and crime. I've spent a lot of time speaking with Magnus Lofstrom, who is a senior crime researcher at the Public Policy Institute of California. And he talks a lot about how 
property crime rates tend to increase during times of increased unemployment, um, which the pandemic definitely was for San Francisco. And San Francisco also has the highest income inequality of any major city in California. And, you know, that definitely contributes to its high rates of property crime. San Francisco also has a pretty high property crime rate relative to other cities in California. And additionally, longer-term research nationally has shown that violent crimes tend to be clustered in lower-income neighborhoods, whether they're urban or rural. So I do think this story points out that income disparities and poverty have a really strong relationship to crime, because when you're unstable and you don't have the kind of resources that wealthier people do, it's more likely that you'll be involved in some kind of crime. I don't want to get too much into the Boudin topic because that's worth another episode. And uh, obviously the debate in San Francisco around him is quite spirited. What I will say is I think he has talked about this kind of thing before that crime prevention should be happening before he gets involved and more at the level of reducing income disparities. And I do think that that kind of influences some of his lower charging rates around certain property crimes and that philosophy. And I think that is a very controversial status he's decided to take because people believe that his lower charging rates lead to higher property crime in the city. We'll be right back. You can support the newsroom that creates Fifth Emission by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Susie, we know that context is everything. San Francisco finds itself in the spotlight with national media, especially as political fodder for the conservative right. How does the city's crime rate compare to national trends? San Francisco is definitely like the poster child for the like failed leftist state idea that conservative media pushes a lot. But I guess what they don't want you to see uh, are all of the charts that we've made <laughs> And a lot of charts that other people have made and analyses people have done showing that in San Francisco, as in most other cities in the country and just nationwide, both violent and property crimes have basically trended downward since their highs in the 1990s. San Francisco is definitely part of that. The one exception is following Proposition 47 in 2014, which reclassified certain property crimes as misdemeanors rather than felonies, there was a brief spike in San Francisco's property crime rate. But that has trended downward again and actually went down a lot during the pandemic, mostly due to a decrease in larceny theft. And then how does crime look like now compared to decades before? It's still much lower. I mean, when you look at Compared to 1985 to the early 90s, both violent and property crimes are far lower than they were during that time. And certain crimes like, you know, as I said, homicides have gone up a bit during the pandemic, but they're still dramatically lower than they were in the 90s. So, Susie, I know, unfortunately, you get a lot of flack for your reporting sometimes, a lot of angry people in your DMs on Twitter, um, <laughs> because you're ta- because you're talking about yeah. issues that are highly charged, like crime, right? And, I mean, to take a step back, tell me why data reporting is so important here. Like you've mentioned, media coverage influences larger perceptions. So how do you approach your data reporting to help give context to what's going on? Yeah, so I'm really glad we're addressing this. And I first want to say that um, when people are victims of crime and when crime occurs, it can be really, really traumatizing, it can be really difficult. I have been 
robbed before. I've had my car broken into. I know how hard it can be. Um, and I empathize a lot with people who have been the victims of crime. And I know it can be a really emotionally charged topic. But I think data reporting is really important when you're looking at these issues. Uh, one thing that I've learned in my reporting over the last year is that most people are really horrible at estimating crime rates um, and their safety levels in a given place. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, uh, a survey taken last year by the San Francisco Chamber of Commerce found that 80% of San Franciscans thought that crime had gone up during the pandemic, when in reality, it's still down. So survey after survey at both the national and local level finds that a majority of people think that crime is pretty much always getting worse, when in fact, as I've said before, both property and violent crime rates have been mostly steadily going down since the 1990s. And there are a lot of reasons for why that might be. But one thing um, that uh, media researcher Pam Mejia talked to me about for this story was what's called the mean world hypothesis, which is a concept defined by communications professor George Gerbner to describe the impact of violent and sensationalist media on people's perceptions of the world. Mm -hmm. So these researchers have found that people exposed to high amounts of violent media display increased levels of anxiety and fear and basically believe the world around them is more dangerous. And I think that, you know, both television and print and all kinds of media can influence that. Social media can influence that. And um, especially when it tends to focus on individual crimes and sensationalized versions of events. And um, this isn't to say that we should never report on individual instances of crime. I think it's still a vital public service to do so. But I do think that data reporting can provide this kind of alternative step back approach to say, you know, this might have happened and it might have been a horrible thing. But also when you're looking at the bigger picture, you know, things are still improving and we can take heart in that and we can kind of maybe look at why these things might be happening so that we can start thinking about solutions and feel a little less scared and a little less despairing. I know that our newsroom is super grateful for your work and the work of the data team for all those reasons you just listed. But what are also the limits of crime data and how does that inform the principles that you and the team really lean on as you contribute your perspectives into the newsroom coverage? The short answer to what limitations there are is that there are so many limitations to crime data. Um, I feel like I was joking with someone the other day that Pretty much all data we look at on the team is flawed in some way, but crime data is like the most flawed. Mm. So for this particular data set that I'm looking at, the San Francisco Police Department incident data, the big flaw and one that people have rightly pointed out a lot is that these this data only counts reported crimes, so crimes that people have reported to police. And when you look at national surveys of crime victims, most crimes are actually not really reported to law enforcement, especially lower-level property crimes. So the data does not include a lot of the crimes probably that are happening in San Francisco. But basically, underreporting is always there, but it's relatively consistent year over year. So you can still capture trends. Even if you can't capture the exact numbers of how many crimes are happening, you can kind of see changes, which is why most of our stories tend to focus on changes rather than raw numbers. I'm so glad we get to benefit from your work and the work of the Chronicle's data reporting team. Thanks so much, Susie. Thanks so much for having me. 
Susie Nielsen is a data reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle. Her latest story about San Francisco crime trends is online now at sfchronicle.com and on the Chronicle app. If this conversation makes you want to look into San Francisco crime data yourself, Susie's made a handy guide about all the different crime data sources that her team uses. You can check that out at sfchronicle.com slash crime data. Thanks to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thanks to you for listening. <laughs>